All right, and we are back. This is episode seven, I believe. I might be wrong about that, but... Lucky seven. Lucky seven. (laughs) We are up next with AJ, and today I have the honor of sitting next to the wonderful Gwen Holt. Welcome, Gwen. Thank you, thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, so happy to have you here. This has been... uh, a long time that we've we've known each other. I know, I know. It's it's really gone by so quickly, but I can't believe how much has happened for both of us in in really such a short time. Mm-hmm. It's been it's been quite a wild little ride so far, and just picking up <laughs> speed and picking up speed like a snowball going downhill. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For everyone listening, we met um, twenty nineteen fall of twenty nineteen. I believe it was. Okay. And I, yeah, yeah, yep. So it's been almost two years. Found Gwen on the home site when I joined Home for Music here in East Nashville, and started taking some voice lessons, songwriting lessons, and she's amazing. Fun stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So now, yeah, here we are. Post COVID, we're recovering physically and mentally. You got your nervous insert nervous laughter, right? Yeah, yeah, right. As we sit here with our, uh, you know, vodka, watermelon, and basil. That's right. (laughs) Yes. So, tell us about yourself, Gwen. Tell us where you're from, what your story is, anything you'd like us to know. Sure. Well, it all started in. in, in uh, British Columbia, Canada. So I was born on the West Coast and uh, we traveled a lot, but for the better part of my childhood, we lived in a log house and my grandparents were near, my aunts and uncles, and everybody was musical. So many a weekend, we would just jam all night, like literally till the sun came up. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, my mom and my uncle. Uh, but everybody just loved music. My mom grew up with music in her family as well. and um, So being a kid and hearing that and how much fun they were having, mm-hmm. you know, I just wanted to be a part of that so bad. So bad. <laughs> I mean, I would literally like just cry myself to sleep at night sometimes because I didn't know how to play. Oh yeah, they they were having all the fun without me. It was not fair at all. <laughs> so, but it was good incentive to learn. Oh yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, asked my mom to teach me, but she was a working mom and with two kids, and you know, there was just she just didn't have time. Um, truthfully, or the patience, probably it probably was a good thing that she didn't uh, attempt that, but. Um, <laughs> But they did give me lessons, and they told me the first time that uh, they heard from my piano teacher that I didn't practice would be the last lesson that I took. Mm. Mm-hmm. One of those so. teachers. Mm. No, that was my mom said that. So she was one of those teachers. Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes, bang on. Uh, so anyways, but it wasn't necessary. I mean, I was, I was so desperate to learn. I mean... It was more a problem of getting me to shut up long enough so that I didn't drive my entire family insane was more the issue. So, yeah. (laughs) No, my piano teacher, in fact, ended up firing me after a few years. She taught me everything she could, and 
and I was on to other teachers and other things and other instruments and away we went um, and I was jamming with my family Woo-hoo. there you go yeah and pretty soon I was jamming with bar bands and jamming mm-hmm. with jamming with anybody that would jam so yeah and I still just love playing with people and making music making noise and just that sense of community and camaraderie and sound blending together it's just all part of that you know I think that we're I think we're all striving for is that oneness you know the connection with other people other things finding that thread that runs through everything and when you make harmony with people and your vibrations meld together I mean it's a beautiful magical mysterious miracle really that's a lot of M's Anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just an awesome thing. So I've pretty much spent my whole life now chasing that feeling mm-hmm. and trying to instill it in other people and give other people to the opportunity to, to experience that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's playing music, writing songs, singing, you know, just whatever. Right. You know. Yeah. How many instruments do you play? Tell us all the instruments you play, because I know it's a bunch. <laughs> well, my main instrument is piano. I finished my jazz proficiencies at Berklee College of Music on piano, and I have got about a grade 8 level of classical. Um, but strangely enough, I rarely play piano in group settings. It's kind of more my personal instrument. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. So I write instrumentals on it and teach it. And uh, yeah, play just play it more for therapy. It's more my mm. therapy instrument. Yeah, I respect for that. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I don't find it a real social instrument for some reason. I mean, on stage it's boring because you're just stuck behind the keyboard. You can't go anywhere or do anything. You can't bend notes. You have no vibrato. So mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's not super exciting that way. So, but yet it is. It is my main instrument. It's great for writing and understanding theory and all that other stuff. But um, for performing, um, mainly. You know, as a professional touring musician, I've mainly been a bass player, um, you know, with backup vocals, and but mainly a bass player, and I really like doing that. It's mm-hmm. so fun. It's like, you only have to think about one note at a time, <laughs> you know? Yep. Never mind these freaking jazz chords, and all ten fingers are doing ten different things, and you're trying to keep track of chords changing every two beats, and mm-hmm. you know, it's like bass, you just lock into that groove, you get into the zone, zen zone thing and yeah just ride that magic carpet ride so fun you can dance you know but um but I also I write a lot of course and and that's mainly done on guitar I do some writing on piano but mainly guitar mm-hmm. uh and that's yeah. that's deliberate because uh I know my way around the piano so well that the mystery is kind of gone mm. like I know what everything's gonna sound like before right. I play it and I, you know what I mean? And like, there's, I know all the patterns. I just, it's just, the mystery's gone. Yeah. So guitar is fun because, you know, it's a bunch of fourths and then a th- weird third thrown in there just to really screw things up. <laughs> so, you know, so it's, it's still fun. I don't, so I don't necessarily know what I'm going to get and it can take me on a, a ride that I might not have normally taken or a path that I wouldn't have explored. So it's fun. Plus, you know, it's it's uh, a little easier to sing and play as well. Yeah. Yeah. You just bang on some chords rather than dealing with having to like play the bass line at the same time and do a chord and do the fills and do the singing and you know, 
which right. with piano you kind of usually end up kind of getting stuck doing everything. Yes, you do. <laughs> and not necessarily getting stuck. You want to, but then it's it's a big thing. It's 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 fun to kind of just break all the pieces down. And in terms of songwriting, I just like to get a chord progression, get a melody, get the lyrics, and kind of go from there. Or get a bass line, get a melody, you know, right. get the lyrics and go from there. Usually I do start with lyrics, so, but, but yeah, it's just uh, easier that way. And then um, performing-wise, uh, saxophone's super fun. Uh, I love doing that, mainly in blues bands. I've done that off and on for decades. Um, super fun. Same thing with harmonica, mainly blues-oriented. Some yeah. Americana folk stuff um, on the harmonica as well, but definitely love the blues. Um, Pretty much did nothing but blues for about a decade in Vancouver. Um, I had to force myself out of the blues because I love it so much. I'm like, if I don't ever leave this genre, well, I will never leave this genre. And, I, <laughs> you know, I, I won't get experience, knowledge, you know, I won't have all these other adventures and, and I won't become a well-rounded musician. So I just kind of had to like deliberately extract myself from it and uh, force myself to play other styles. <laughs> Do um, you think you'll ever go back to blues? And yes. Like make that your primary genre again? No. Okay. No. Um, it's great at parties. It's great at bars because everybody knows how to play a 12 bar. Yeah. You know, so you can always just sit in or someone or, you know, pop in and play. And I mm -hmm. love that. I really do. The, the lyrics are annoying because generally their female lyrics are all about being victim in blues for the most part. And it I'm is. just like, eh. Yeah. Not really. You know, I've rewritten so many blues lyrics. I'm just kind of over it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just need to write some so that the <laughs> women behind me don't have to sing that shit. Right? Yeah, write your own. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I have. I have. Bless, believe me. Um, but there's, there's definitely more to be done, so who knows? Maybe I'll go back and do a bit of that. But a lot of what I do is, is you'll hear the blues run through just about everything I do at some point. Mm -hmm. It'll sneak in there. Yeah. Yeah, whether it's supposed to or not, it finds a way, usually. That's... <laughs> Seems to be how it how it goes. People with the a certain genre that weighs heavy on them tends to bleed through. Or a particular artist. Is there an artist that you gravitate towards or that you are like heavily influenced by? Yeah. Um, in terms of bluesiness, certainly Bonnie Raitt cre creeps into a lot of what I do, especially vocally mm -hmm. and vocal style. It creeps in. I curl up the ends of phrases on, you know, curl it, you know, kind of bend it up to that minor third a lot of times, or, you know, fall off with like a flat seven five or whatever. And I like to grind that flat five, uh, which is very characteristic of Bonnie Raitt as well. Um, Cheryl Crow has a little bit of blues influence in her too. Mm, She's yeah. a big influence, and that definitely also tends to poke its head out a fair amount. Um, I was pretty influenced by Billie Holiday in my early years, um, so that pokes out a lot too. And she's a very bl bluesy artist, considering she's really a jazz artist. She was very strongly influenced by the blues as well. Right. Um, Janis Joplin early on was a, a big influence on me, and of course her mentor was Ma Rainey, and uh, you know, I listen to a lot of that as well, and some a lot of the really old blues. You know, Elizabeth Cotton and the the really good stuff. You know, Robert Johnson and all the kind of uh, 
country blues, mm-hmm. Delta blues. Yeah, not so much uh, in love with Chicago blues and you know, electric blues so much. I really like the old stuff, mm. the front porch blues. Right. Yeah, that's my favorite. Okay. Yeah. So if you were to give us songwriters a, I guess, not a history lesson per se, but explain, because you know so much about the blues, I know for sure that that influences songwriting and the music that we write today here in Nashville, whether it's mm-hmm. country or pop, mm-hmm. but tell us how you know, the evolution of music has inspired and created what we listen to today. Yeah, well, interestingly, I mean, we are really near the birthplace of rock and roll, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Memphis is kind of where it all came together. So you had the Delta Blues in the Delta there, and a lot of, uh, a lot of folks that had been working on plantations were gravitating to the city and starting to play in clubs there and whatnot. Um, the Blues kind of is a combination of country music, one four five, so old time country is just that one four five chords all the time. So is the blues one four five. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've heard it said, you know, that, that the blues is like black people's country music. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's the common man. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's not uppity music. That's for sure. Right. You know, it's uh, down and low down, <laughs> just uh, raw, raw primitive stuff. Um, but anyway, so like rock and roll happened when country met blues, basically. So it started with, as rockabilly and like the 50s type mm-hmm. of rock and roll, you yeah. know? So it was country plus blues. So like Elvis, for example, he had a big hit with Hound Dog. Well, he didn't have, he wasn't the first one to have a big hit with Hound Dog. It was Coco Taylor that had the original big hit with, mm. with uh, Hound Dog. She was playing it all over Beale Street in Memphis. And that's how he got her, got a hold of it and heard it. And just basically was like, oh, big hit, big hit for her, bigger hit for me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and back then things were still a lot more segregated. And there were a lot of hits that were big hits in the black community and on the, on the black radio stations that just, you know, white people never got to hear, sadly. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, then when white artists started covering these songs bringing it to the mainstream radio and bigger audiences, you know, really, it just took off like wildfire. Mm-hmm. And of course, a lot of um, parents and certain church groups and mm-hmm. things like that weren't so keen about it because some of the lyrics were a little mm, questionable, <laughs> shall we say. Um, but, you know, sensual or whatever, a lot of double entendre. Um, but... But, it, you know, the lyrics are also, in the blues, of course, it's just about really being really sad or heartbroken a lot of times. Um, much like old-time, early country. Yeah. Yeah. So rockabilly kind of pulled them together. Rock and roll pulled them together into the 50s. Then, you know, as white people more and more discovered the awesomeness of the blues, you know, of course, the British invasion, you know, the Brits kind of discovered it and yeah. started covering all the... Um, you know, hits and non-hits of uh, the South, Southern blues and whatnot. And uh, so all through the 60s, a lot of those big rock bands, you know, the Stones and, 
yard birds and cream and on and on and on. Uh, mild male on the uh, what is it? Not ball breakers. It's not blues. Mm. Anyways, it'll come to me. <laughs> John Mayall and the Blue Breakers. I can't believe I can't think of it. Anyway, anyways, a lot of a lot of those um, early rock bands from the '60s were seriously influenced it by them. So like BB King, Albert King, all the Kings, um, Albert Collins. Um, you know, some of the, some of those guys had a pretty huge influence, and a lot of them got a chance to be rediscovered, and kind of their careers got revived, and they ended up actually making some money, which is great as mm -hmm. a result of you know these bigger white bands kind of bringing attention to them yeah yeah which was nice and a lot of them deliberately tried to bring attention to them and give them credit which they you know mm -hmm. very much deserved so and still do really I don't think people really quite understand right how much we owe in today's music to those early artists you know mm -hmm. I mean like just Robert Johnson alone I mean Eric Clapton owes him a huge debt of gratitude, <laughs> you know, as do many other artists. So, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, and just the blues scale has, you know, it's funk. Right. I mean, it's just the blues scale with a dance beat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like groovy, groovy bass lines based on that blues scale with a funky beat. And that's, you know. Right. Influences everything. A lot of the... Um, so there was a period there where like the Black Keys and uh, Fast Lane with the, I don't know, that whole Black Keys thing. Mm -hmm. It's still fairly popular, but it's basically just blues riffs. Right. With a really fuzzy guitar or a really fuzzy distorted bass guitar and some trash can drums and kind of, you know, Jack White, you know, kind of white mm -hmm. stripes, all that kind of riff related stuff just based on blues bass lines, basically, and blues riffs. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's crazy to think about how much music is come stems from the same place, mm -hmm. and I, I mean, going through music school, you learn a lot about that. But I feel like the the general public, they wouldn't really have so much of a way of knowing that, mm -mm. you know, when they listen to Kesha, you can you literally trail that back almost a hundred plus years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really cool. It's really cool. It's kind of like musical genealogy, you know? Right, right. I remember when I first heard uh, Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley and the Comets, a white band. Mm -hmm. I mean, I freaked out. I never heard blues. And I'm from Canada, like the foothills of the Rocky Mountains of British Columbia. There's no black people. There's no blues. There's no jazz. There's. Right. It's just it's pretty white bread, pretty wonder bread, you know? Mm hmm. And uh, when I heard that, I'm like, oh, my God, what is this? <laughs> I freaked out. I'm, like, dancing all over the place and bouncing off the couch and doing somersaults. And I was just... And then uh, Rudy Pompelli on the saxophone did a solo, and it was all over. I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm not getting married. I'm not having kids. I'm going to be a musician. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I love I, that. Yeah, I announced that very clearly by the time I was 13. So I did get married once, but... No kids. I mean, devoted yeah. my life to music. There you go. The well, that brings me to my next subject, which is songwriting. And before you question why, I like to see songs, or I feel like songwriters 
see their songs as babies mm-hmm. a little bit. Absolutely. So you did have kids. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you have cats, so <laughs> that's <true>. children. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just a different, I mean, they're not humans, but they are still things that you care about quite yeah. a bit. Sure. Yeah. So on that subject, tell us about your history in songwriting in Nashville, kind of what you've done here, who you've worked with, if you have any cool stories about songwriting and just kind of what your experience has been. Yeah. So, um, I was depressed a lot as a kid, so I wrote as a way of uh, therapy, basically. It was musical therapy. So, and I wrote a lot of poetry. I was always really into that. So I wrote a lot of, and those lyrics, uh, the poetry turned into lyrics oftentimes. And then, you know, eventually I figured out, oh, I can combine these two things together. And, ooh, song mm-hmm. kind of stuff, you know. Um, but, of course, I wasn't fantastic right out of the gate, as very few people are. I mean, I didn't understand structure or anything. I was just experimenting. Um, you know, things get better over time. So when I went to college, I did study commercial songwriting and got... Uh, a, a good handle on, you know, what it is, you know, what the sections are, what they're supposed to do, what their functions are, you know, I just got a better understanding of it. I literally analyzed, I don't know, hundreds of songs on the mm. chart. I um, took a semester off and studied with a piano teacher named Craig Najar, who was Bill Evans' only student. He's a jazz piano player. Anyways, he took me out I switched out a saxophone. That was my main instrument. And I was like, mm, they're really close-minded. They just want me to do bebop. I want to do lots of styles, so I'm going to need to switch to piano because I'm more open-minded. So I did that, but I had to catch up. So I took a semester off to practice to catch up. So I practiced a lot, um, but not enough, according to my <clears throat> piano teacher. So he took me to the window one day, and he said, look out the window. What do you see? I'm like, oh, a lot of people carrying briefcases. Oh, yeah. Do they look happy? Mm. Not so much. He said, are you picking up what I'm putting down? I'm like, uh, yeah, more practicing or I will be doing that and not be happy and doing a day job. Okay. <laughs> am, I, am I catching on? He's like, you're catching on. <laughs> I'm like, right, okay. Got it. So anyways, so, but one thing he would make me do is I would have to analyze like the top 10 songs on the charts every week and answer like literally 300 questions about each song. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what kinds of questions? About every question you can imagine. Who produced it? Who are the background singers? Uh, what's the string arrangement? What key is it in? Is there any modulations? Uh, why does this work? Why does the breakdown work? Why is the bridge here? Um, what is the featured element, how many elements, how many themes, how many variations, how many riffs, how many signature guitar licks, where is the signature guitar lick, Um, what is recognizably stylistic about this vocalist, Mm -hmm. Um, oh my god, just like so many, what what effects are used, is the effect used as part of the composition, Um, you know, uh, know, what's the chord progression, is the, does the, is the melody open or closed at the end of each section? Mm-hmm. Why? Um, yeah. How does it end? How long is it? How long are most pop songs? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just endless. Yeah. Wow. Endless. Analyze it. What's the chord progression? You know, break it down. Is it one, four, five? You know, 
mm-hmm. label them all. What kind of, are there ostinato? Is there blah, 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 blah? What's the baseline doing? Why is this interesting? Why is this a hit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know? So I did a lot of that. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I took some lyric classes and some songwriting classes. Um, funny story there, my first songwriting class, I, um, my teacher said that Pink Floyd was shit. And, oh yeah, that was highly offensive to me. Um, and I challenged him and I said, well, when's the last time you wrote a song that was on international charts for multiple decades? Right. That didn't go over real well. He kicked me out. Um, I, said, <laughs> I said, you can't kick me out. I've paid for this class. Yeah. And my family's worked hard to pay for this class. And I said, I mean, I don't want to be in this room with you either, so I'll stand outside the door, but you can't kick me out. Yeah. So I did. I just stood out beside the door for classes. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And, yeah, I submitted my assignments and took the tests, but I never went inside. That was my first, my first class. I love that. That's uh, <laughs> badass. Uh, well, you know, I mean, oh, my God, we worked so hard to get there. It was really hard being Canadian and then going to school in the States. Yeah. I'd, I had to get catalogs from every university and college in Canada and prove that I couldn't get the education I wanted in terms of commercial songwriting in Canada and that, that, that I had to leave the country. Mm-hmm. I had to prove that. It took me almost a year of writing letters, analyzing, going through all the catalogs, doing essays. Anyways, wow. yeah, it was, it was, so for him to, for me to finally get there, take my first songwriting class and hear that come out of his mouth, I just about jumped out of my seat and throttled him. Yeah. I was so mad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I did learn a lot from him. I will say that. I learned a lot. And to his credit, he was fair and I did pretty well in the class. Good. Yeah. But anyway, so that was interesting. Um, when I got out of Berkeley, I was so paralyzed with information, possibilities, and terror of expectations and fear of not living up to them. Yeah. And my brain was just so full of stuff, I just didn't even know where to start, and I was just terrified. Yeah. I didn't write anything. I didn't write anything for two years when I got out. Um, I played, but I didn't write. And finally, I was like, I really want to write. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. But it was scary, you know? I just had such big expectations for myself and so much information rolling around in there. I just felt like if I, if I dared unplug it, it would all just come out so fast it would kill me or something. I don't know what I thought, but I eventually just decided I was going to lock myself in a room for a few days and write 10 bad songs. Mm. So that's what I did. Were they bad, though? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, they were pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say something like no, and one of them eh. is now no no out no. there it's no a... they were <laughs> okay no I mean you know some of them had little bits that were you know you have little nuggets here and there and bits that are decent and whatnot. and I've since used some of those bits in other songs that were definitely a lot better um, but no no it wasn't great um, it was okay you know they were okay mm-hmm. and I think that's really important to be okay with just 
writing stuff that's okay. Yeah. I mean, if you have this expectation that the reason that you're writing is to be great, uh, you're screwed before you even start. <laughs> you know? Because A, it's really not about that. And if that's where you're coming from, what have you got to draw on? Nothing. Yeah. You've got nothing. You've got a, a, a dried up well. I mean, it's nothing. What are you going to write about? You're going to write about not being able to write. Yeah. <laughs> We've all heard those songs. It kind of hurts a little bit. I, <laughs> I, I cringe when I'm here. I'm like, really? That's the best you could do? Write yeah. about that? <laughs> you know? Come on. Like, get out. Live life a little. Just, just, I don't know. Write a bad song even. Just come yeah. on. Come on. I, I, you know, I guess I'm sensitive because I get it. I really do. But, um, but yeah, you got to write, you got to be okay with sucking mm -hmm. uh, at anything and everything because. Got to start somewhere. Well, yeah. And for me, the intention really has always been community and oneness and finding that thread that connects everything and everyone and feeling the joy of that, of mm -hmm. it coming together. So... You know, I was so caught up with, oh my God, Berkeley grad, all huge expectations and great big loans to pay back and fear, you know, that I was not coming from, I've forgotten why yep. I went through all this in the first place. So it just took a while to unwind, yeah. and relax and find the joy again. And, you know, it just, it took, it took a while, mm -hmm. it took a while, um, but I just kept at it and kept writing, kept writing, kept writing, kept writing. It wasn't great. Got better, got better, got better. Finally, some things started to happen, you know. I got a theme show for a TV show. It was a national TV show in Canada called Power Play. Um, got little, you know, just started getting little, little things started happening. People started covering my songs here and there. Um, you know, started forming my own original bands, and people actually wanted to be in them. And <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. Um, and then, and then I had, uh, you know, did, did an album and then, um, formed a duo. The duo did really well. Um, and it was songs that I'd written or co-written. Uh, we kind of outgrew Vancouver in terms of the music business. There was really nothing. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, okay, well, time to move. Um, right. and there was, there's not really much in Canada. So it's like, <laughs> I mean, really. Well, it's a big place, though. I know, I know. That says a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you know, and it may have changed a lot now. I haven't been there in over 20 years, but it was kind of like, okay, well, it's New York, L.A., London, or Nashville. Mm -hmm. You know, so New York's too cold, L.A.'s too plastic, London's too wet. Well, at least Nashville. Yeah. So, here there I am. You, <laughs> you picked the right city. I think so, yeah. <laughs> I came here, you know, I came um, with my, I had a country duo called Juliet and Juliet with Kelly Brock, um, and um, we decided to check it out. We came for a month. It went great. I uh, didn't expect that. Um, producers were interested. Producers were expressing some interest, and, you know, when we played, we got, we always got something came out of it, and um, I really was not expecting that at all. Um, they were really kind of, the Judds had just kind of had had success and then had kind of fallen out and fallen away. And they're like, there's a, there's an opening for a female duo, basically, is what people were saying. And yeah. maybe you guys are it. Um, but I just, I didn't like the, I didn't like being an artist.
artist at that time in that situation. You know, it was uh, very male dominated, uh, dominating, dominated, I guess. And they were, you know, this is this is where you go, who you see, what you wear, parties you go to. You're not gonna. They wouldn't let me write my own songs if we did an album deal. Like if we if they were if you recoup on the album, then you can co-write on the second album. If it recoups, then we'll listen to what you got by the third album. I'm like, that's mm-hmm. not acceptable. Yeah. You know? That's just like why would you say that? You're saying that because I'm a female and I'm young and you're using me as a product to make you and your buddies rich off of the publishing. Mm-hmm. You haven't even heard my songs. You don't give a shit that I'm a Berkeley grad that plays six instruments and has written literally hundreds of songs now and have had TV theme shows and what do they care and won awards and they don't care. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, mm, yeah, this. Is. But I really did love the songwriting community here. People help each other. They were real. It was glorious, really. I mean, I just felt like whoa, fish found water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right away. So, and I had a, another Canadian that said, Gwen, this is where you need to be. He's like, yeah. you can't just visit here. If you want to do the songwriting here, he says, I think, you know, I think you've got something. And, but people won't take you seriously if you're visiting, you have to move here. So it took me seven years, wrap up all my loose ends and family stuff and whatnot. And, and come, sold my saxophone for my plane ticket. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of crazy that... Um, it was kind of funny how it all came around full circle, just kind of like a really awesome Seinfeld episode in a way. <laughs> so when I was a kid, we had horses, and my dad's horse kicked my horse, broke its leg, we had to put it down. My dad had his horse bred. The foal was called Elvira, because we named it after a song that we were both in love with called Elvira by the Oak Ridge Boys that we sang constantly and rode around in his truck with his eight-track singing, and I had the 45. Mm-hmm. I loved that song. Yeah. So, fast forward all these years, married seven years, get divorced, looking for a house, driving around the neighborhood of East Nashville because I wanted to live here, spot this little granny-looking house at the top of a hill that looks like my, my great-grannies. I'm like, oh, I could, I could so go, grow old here and plant flowers and live in this cute little white house on the top of the hill with this little magnolia tree that's so southern and awesome. Oh, got to stop at the hill for sale. I bought it. Uh, come to find out, it's on Elvira. So, yeah. uh-huh. so then I'm living on the house in Elvira. I'm at a songwriter night. Gwen, someone I want you to meet. You got to meet this guy. Okay, nice to meet you. Blah blah blah. You wrote what? You wrote Elvira. What? Uh, well, how'd that come about? Oh, you were driving past my street and you saw the sign and thought it'd be a cool title for a song. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. little signpost for me that was like, okay, I'm on the right track. I'm doing the right thing. Thank you, yeah. universe, for that little confirmation. <laughs> wow, that is so cool. It's like a really long Seinfeld episode. Yeah, but it should actually be an episode. <laughs> wow. I yeah. feel like that stuff happens here, though. I mean, it does. Everyone. To everyone. Mm-hmm. I've told you my story about meeting Lady Gaga's songwriter. Or I tell, will. Tell me again. I, well, I, not that full circle, but when I first visited Nashville, probably two years ago now, I was going, walking around town with a friend who was showing me around, 
we're on Broadway, which I know that people hate it, but I was overjoyed to see music, like music just on music, yeah. blasting in a street. Yeah. So I'm already super excited. We're in this alleyway behind a bar, and he's like, oh my gosh, we run into my friends, like in an alleyway. And we're talking, and he introduces me to his friend Lindsay, who's a songwriter, and I was like, sweet, nice to meet you, do you like what you do? And we're just talking. And we part ways, they go their way, we go into the bar, and he was like, yeah, so that's Lindsay, uh, she co-wrote Joanne, which was then Lady Gaga's previous album. Mm. And I was like, I'm so glad you didn't tell me that while I was talking to her because I would have been, you know, fangirl. You would have been Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But that was my sign where I was like, ah, uh, yeah. What, like, what other sign did I need from the universe yeah. aside from running into Lady Gaga, songwriter in the alleyway? Hello. So. <laughs> right. Now I'm here. Yes. And I love that about this place. Like, it's 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 like that all the time, you know. It's like, you know, you know, New York has this electric energy, and it's exciting, mm-hmm. and fast paced and everything. But Nashville has more. It moves slower, but it's deeper. I feel like there's that current is a little more under the surface. Mm-hmm. But it's deeper, but it is moving and it is magical. And people come here from all over the world, you know, to make their dreams come true and to follow their passion. And most of them don't make it. Um, Most of them don't even come close to coming close to making it. But for those that stay, they stay for the right reason. They're not staying to make it. They're staying to be in community with people of a similar mindset that are passionate about music, passionate about this musical community, mm-hmm. you know, about connecting, you know, mm-hmm. it's that thread again, you know, right. and pe- the pe- people that are here for that reason, like to connect with the oneness of the amazing miracle we call music, of vibrations, you know, mm-hmm. of melding our vibrations together. Um, it's incredible what happens, all the stories, all the people that you meet. Everybody's got some kind of cool, crazy yeah. story. I mean, it's, it's. I remember being at this party. And it's, you know, like, at towards the end of the night where everything's kind of winding around. There's not a ton of people left. There's maybe, like, a dozen people left at the party. And somebody picks up a guitar, and somebody picks up a guitar, and somebody goes to their car and gets a guitar, and then there's <laughs> an, all the guitars start appearing. There's like pretty soon there's like four or five guitars, and people start just going around doing original songs. And I hadn't been here that long; it's the first time I've ever seen this in my life. I mean, I've been at parties where people play a few original songs or whatever, but this was insane. This is like was like a professional level. I mean, they were all professional, mm-hmm. professional songwriters and singers and musicians and it was insane so we're going around passing the guitar around or playing the guitar no one's ever heard these songs before or very few people have there's four and five part harmony on the choruses i mean we're everybody's we're all singing 
you know, we pick up other, whatever percussion we can find, and it sounds like a freaking record, every bloody song that goes around, and everybody, they're playing lead solos, and just doing these harmonies by ear on the fly, and it's so good, and I'm like, I've died, I've gone to heaven, <laughs> like, I, it just doesn't get any better than this, this is so amazing, mm-hmm. you know, and every song was so good, I mean, it was so well-crafted, and meaningful, and important, and you know, to them, and had a message or a story or something about it mm-hmm. that was just such a generous and beautiful contribution, mm-hmm. you know, to that circle that night and those people that heard it. And I just, I don't know, I have a lot of respect. I, I respect whether people are big stars or, you know, just like hanging out on the front porch and playing. Uh, it's all the same. You know, it's all the same to me. Hopefully, it's all the same, you know, mm-hmm. the, the feeling behind it and the intention. But, um, yeah, I just, I love it. When I first came, um, I joined, well, I was, in, I, being Canadian, I, SOCAP is, uh, SOCAN is my PRO. ASCAP is my affiliate. Um, so I hung out at ASCAP a lot in the NSAI. And um, I was lucky enough to kind of get a mentor with Ralph Murphy, and um, I can't remember what his position was, vice president or something. He was kind of a big week there at the time. He was also a fellow Commonwealther. He was actually English. Um, but he let me bug him um, and come in once a week with my songs, and he'd critique them, mm-hmm. which was such um, a gift, you know, because I'd come from writing mainly pop and rock and blues. Mm-hmm. I hadn't written a lot of country and mm-hmm. it really is a different thing. It's a different formula, you know, and it's a different approach. So I had to learn to write songs for other people and narratives, not just kind of a confessional or personal, which is more of the pop style. Uh, but I'd write, you know, learn to write stories and yeah, yeah, something that someone else can own, you know. Um, yeah, so it, it was really helpful. And then um, when he felt like I kind of got to a level where I could kind of, you know, compete or at least. Uh, keep up with and whatnot, he started hooking me up with other writers and uh, sending me on pitch sessions and, um, you know, sort of opening a door for me to send a song to a producer or whatever, so I started doing that and, and co-writing a ton, like sometimes three times a day, and um, and it was great for me to write with a lot of other national writers that had been here a while and kind of mm-hmm. learned the ropes, so yeah, I definitely learned a lot and the songs were definitely getting better and better and better. Had lot, you had some really close calls like Martina McBride, Jessica Andrews, and some other um, close ones. Never got that big, big hit. Never got that big cut yet. But maybe one day we'll yes. see. Um, uh, but then I had a car accident and it kind of derailed me. And and I had become started to become a little bit frustrated with feeling like I was writing really good songs, um, but getting feedback that they wanted more beer babes, Bibles, and bikinis, mm-hmm. and I wasn't giving them enough of the B words. Yeah. And um, they'd say, oh, you know, yeah, we really like that. It'd be a good album cut. Next. <laughs> you know? Right. And I was like, uh, I can't do it. I can't do it. This is not me. It's not working. So I quit. Um, 
nearly died in the car accident, had a different perspective. It was like, okay, no point in doing something that you're not into. Mm-hmm. If you're not passionate about it. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'll do something else and I'll keep writing and just write whatever the hell I want, when I want, how I want. Period. So I did. And uh, I went into teaching music and I loved that. I'd kind of always wanted to do it and I'd been volunteering at W. Smith School of Music for a while. Um, got hired on at Jane Williams School of Music in Brentwood, taught there for about six years, moved to East Nashville, started teaching out of my home, been doing that for, uh, I don't know, 10, 11 years. Love it, love, love, love it. You know, because I can share my passion with other people and get them hooked, turn them into junkies like me. Woohoo! <laughs> so you're push up. Uh, yeah, get those get those kids while they're young too. Yes. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. good stuff. And yeah, so got adult bands, kid bands, and so it's awesome. And then in the meantime, I've you know get into all sorts of trouble with projects like playing with you, doing uh, (laughs) live streaming Facebook shows on bass and drums and keys or whatever, and playing saxophone for other people on their records or at gigs or singing backups and, you know, just doing local shows mainly and then, you know, doing original projects and recording and just writing. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, over the past couple, 20 years, I guess I've accumulated quite a little catalog and, uh, you know, having just uh, ended a nine-year relationship, it just kind of is the beginning of a new era for me, and I'm free to do whatever I want, and it just kind of has happened kind of organically that, you know, I think I'm going to be an artist. Why not? Yeah. You know? Yep, 53. What? Are you crazy? Yes. Clearly. I mean, I've given up my family, my country. I left everything to come to somewhere I don't even, you know, a new place and just this whole music thing. But, you know, whatever. It's who I am and I've got all these songs. I can't possibly get them all cut. So if I don't do it, no, you know, they're just not going to be heard. And they are my babies. They're, yeah. my, they're my legacy. Right. So if I don't start putting them out there and getting behind them, they're going to die with me. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't want that. I, I do want them to keep going and have a life and continue their vibration in the universe and to yeah. have their ripple effects and hopefully influence other artists to come, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just, I just want people to enjoy them, you know? And do all the things that music did for me, you know? Yeah. Provide me with tons of free therapy and... <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and be the backdrop to you know, coming of age, the backdrop to being a wife, the backdrop to, you know, all the crazy shit and drama that happens in your life. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at. First single comes out May 4th, Extraordinary People. Um, looking forward to it. Heck yeah. Yeah. It's so cool that you can, I mean, I, I'm believing firmly that you will get to the end of your life and not regret a second of it. Yeah. And, you know, Thank what you. better way to live life? I feel like not enough people do that. Amen. So I very much, you know, you inspire me to do that because uh-huh. there's, you know, uh, being someone who's still in her 20s, it's hard to see the people around me doing the things that we're told to do. And I feel very much 
Like I, I want to go on my own path. Yeah. And it to see that it's rewarded other people who have lived through more years than me, and the fact that you know you're you've evolved several times from songwriter to you know instrumentalist, artist, and across genres, teacher, like yeah, producer. Now I'm getting into that a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. So you can do it all. You can do one thing. But I think what matters is that you stuck with your passion, which is yeah, music. Yeah, exactly. And you learned from that lesson where you looked down at the people with their <laughs> suitcases <laughs> and decided against it, which in itself is a huge accomplishment that a lot of people can't do or yeah. can't make, you know? If I'd have practiced more, I'd have probably had fewer day jobs that I didn't like. I had lot, plenty of them along the way, too, but... sorry Craig I did the best I could at the time but the reality is I I firmly firmly in every cell of my body all the way through each and every cell believe that everything happens for a reason happens at the perfect exact time it's supposed to in the perfect exact way that it's supposed to Mm -hmm. and by embracing that you know it's like you can let go of shame a lot of times guilt regret so much of those, so many of those things worry that just don't serve you or anybody else, really. You know. Yeah. It's like it's it's all beautiful. It's all just how it's supposed to be. Um, you know, we all are taught to keep looking for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but the gold is the rainbow. Mm-hmm. And if we can really get that, then, you know, we're happy, we're peaceful, no matter what happens, whether, right. and whether we get to the pot of gold or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, uh, I had a really magical moment the other night. Um, I wrote this song called Digging on Dylan, and uh, it's based on a poem that my dad wrote, so I've turned it into lyrics and put music to it, and there's a line. Um, I used to think things were all black or white, now it's all gray and it's all right. Oh, and I like that. As I was listening to it, I was looking at my cat sleeping on the couch beside me. And he is gray. <laughs> and he just had this peaceful little grin on his face and he was just <laughs> you know, so content and happy, just laying there mm-hmm. hanging out with yeah. me and you know, he was a feral cat that I adopted and He's hanging out, living the life in the lap of luxury, you know, listening to tunes, chilling on a cold night, and he's warm inside. And I'm like, yeah, it's all great. It's all right. Mm-hmm. You know? And then if I can find the joy in that lyric and in that moment, like, I don't care if anything happens with the song. I mean, it'd be great. I would love for people to listen to it and enjoy it. But, like, I can be happy right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, sometimes it's more painful to wait for something that may never come, even if you plan on it, than to just enjoy the process. And I think that's what what separates the people who are going to stick it out versus the people, like you said, who just want to make it, because the people who fall in love with the process will never stop. Exactly. Regardless of what their their end is right. if it's stardom or sitting on their porch yeah it's the process that 
really makes a difference. Yeah, well said. I love that. The people that are in love with the process mm-hmm. are the ones that stick it out. And that's true. I mean, yeah. I've seen, I've seen, seen a lot of people come and go. And I, I don't mean to judge either, and I, I really don't. Uh, a lot of times there's other circumstances. And it's, um, it, it, is, it is a hard life, and it's, uh, some, sometimes there are s- pretty big sacrifices. And, yeah. and it's, you're definitely swimming upstream. I mean, it's hard for men. It's also hard for women. I mean, you know, to, to choose this path and kind of really go for it and commit to it. Um, you know, there's a lot of women that do it with kids. I don't know how they've done it. I, I get down on my knees and bow to them, and I'm amazed and impressed beyond belief. Because, wow, that's a lot of energy. (laughs) But it can be done, and I've seen it, so (laughs) hats off. Uh, That said, um, generally speaking, I mean, it's it's tough. It's hard on relationships, and it's, you know, if you're kind of just really going, really doing that, and that's your main love, and that's what you're kind of just driven to do, you know, it can be it can be challenging going off the path there. yeah, and, you know, um, you know, everyone around you is all about, you know, babies and retirement and how green their lawn is, and <laughs> it's uh, it's it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. But, you know, no one says you can't have it all too. So that part I haven't figured out, but um, but I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like we said. New single coming out May yeah. 4th, is that correct? May 4th, yes. Extraordinary People. Extraordinary People, which yeah. you fall into that category, oh, for sure. <laughs> I'm extraordinarily something. I'm not sure what exactly, but... Uh... Nah, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I hope people will enjoy it. It's just kind of light acoustic pop, kind of Cheryl Crow, Edie Brickell, Sarberless kind of vein. Um, and then, you know... God willing, I'll be releasing one about every couple months. Yeah. Now and hopefully get get that catalog out there. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Maybe even get lucky and get some sync placements. Fingers crossed. Wouldn't that be nice? Right. Oh yeah. That's I agree. That would be nice. It would. <laughs> it really would. It's a oh, it's a not much faster way to get it to a lot of people than um you know right Instagram posts. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Instagram, or in general, how can we find you online? Ah, um, so it's Gwen Holt or Gwen B. Holt, depending on the platform, but I'm always under one of the two. Um, and then, so I've got a, a website, Gwen Holt Music, um, if you're interested in lessons. Uh, I do vocal coaching, studio vocal coaching, pre-production, um, songwriting consulting, and then lessons and all your usual stuff. Um, adults, adults and kids and head bands, too. Um, and then, um, yeah, that's probably the best way to find me is the website. Um, and, you know, I have an Instagram. It's Gwen B. Holt. And then my Facebook page is Gwen Holt Music. Uh, and I think that's about it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, check her out. She's got so much awesome stuff to offer. Uh, you can be guaranteed that not one of my songs I release doesn't go through her first. <laughs> and to get the, the go-ahead. <laughs> Uh, but it's been awesome having you on the show thank you so much Audrey and y'all need to check out Audrey's stuff too so Audrey Jane (laughs) and uh, Hero 
my own hero is coming out soon. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to see that video. And I'm sitting here across from her and she's got some of her heroic outfit on <laughs> with her awesome blonde wig and crazy high heels and knee high boots. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. I, I loved your Instagram post where you're in the cat suit with the wig, uh, you know, thing. To, what do you call that little wig? The wig cap. Cap, thank you. <laughs> yes. I was like, I really felt great and really, I felt so behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, and it was uh, super fun to have played that with you too on, um, on stage and now I'm going to get to hear the yes. album version and with a video and everything. So exciting. So yeah, definitely check it out. It's going to be fun. And you've got Madhouse. Madhouse coming out. God, um, there's, what else? You want to fight? That's right. That I love that one. Feisty. Have you heard the demo for that one yet? I'll have to show no. You. Oh. So as y'all can hear, lots of cool stuff coming up for both of us. Yeah. Stay in tune and keep following everything because, uh, like we said, it's the thread, and it'll be really cool to see where where the thread takes all of us, not just Gwen and I, but the community here in Nashville yeah. and yeah. you guys as the audience. So. Yeah, and uh, one last little shout-out, speaking of Thread, mm-hmm. I loved the podcast that you did with Catherine Hoxie, a.k.a. Kay Fox. Yes. Um, and she inspired me to start meditating again, which I've been doing every day after having fallen off the horse for too long, we'll just say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so thank you for interviewing such a wise, incredible woman. And that inspired me and has made a really great difference in my life and I'm so happy to be kind of, kind of be back on the horse again. Yeah. I don't know what it was, something about it just I was just like, ooh. I yeah. just I just just the very next day I just started doing it again. She inspires me to wear wigs in public because she does that. <laughs> yeah. So she she clearly <laughs> inspires everyone and She does. She's she's a powerhouse, <laughs> man. That's uh, who I like to have on the show. Only, only badass human beings. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Unless you have anything else to add. No, I'm good. Let's go party. Yeah, I'll wrap it up. And until next time, this is Up Next with AJ. Thanks for listening in, everybody. <laughs>